When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. When I asked Raw Goddess how she likes to introduce herself these days, she said, It's shifting. 30 years ago, she was on the ground doing advocacy work, and she's still here making moves. In her incredible TED Talk, she introduces herself by saying, I am the daughter of Ruth and Fred, born as a change-of-life baby at the intersection of civil rights and hip-hop. Today, Ra Goddess is an entrepreneurial soul coach, the founder and CEO of Move the Crowd, a hip-hop artist known for coining the term flowetry, and the author of The Calling, written to teach you how to find just that, your calling your purpose, and where you can show up as yourself with an ability to make a meaningful difference where it matters most now. Another episode, another incredible human. This one I've been looking forward to for literally months. And to get on Ra's schedule is very challenging because of the amount of service she does. The way she shows up in the world is something to truly aspire to. And looking after people and helping them be their best them is something we hear a lot and we hear people throw it around and we see a lot of white guys with books. But this particular individual has been doing this for over three decades, has been doing this in an impactful way that truly harnesses her gifts. And so I'm excited to have my guest today and for you to get to enjoy my guest today, Raw Goddess. Raw, welcome. Mm-hmm. Mark, thank you so much for having me. Truly my privilege and honor to be here. I'm so, so excited. So one of my favorite things to ask right off the hop is, how do you like to introduce yourself these days? You know, it's a, a perfect question because I feel like, as, as I believe many of us are, it's shifting because of the nature of our times. You know, um, I, I still believe that my work is about liberation. I still believe that my work is about changing the game. Um, but I also will say that in this next season, I think my work is also about compassion and the next level of love that supports the next level of rehumanization. I love that. And we're going to dig straight into the center of that. And I think one of the analogies we talk about a lot, I was doing a talk in Queens, that's three years ago with a series of activists. The whole room was about 200 activists. And they said, what do you think our biggest challenge is going to be this year in the Q&A? And I said, us. And it was a very unpopular response, let's say. And we had to dig into it. I was in that amphitheater for a solid three or four hours afterwards. I said, we can be the most polarizing, the least engaging and interactive. And what I love about you is that, of course, we all start in that space, me included. We move into this place of understanding that if we are to truly heal, it has to be that integration. So can we talk a little bit about that? Can you share what your journey from the tip of the spear into the encompassment looked like? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, again, I feel like for me, the evolving nature of, of the work, you know, there are often these sort of pivotal moments, these milestones. And, um, and I was not, you know, an, any exception to the rule with George Floyd. And I'll say that because my, my work has touched racial justice and equity for many, many years. You know, if I sort of go all the way back into my, my work, you know, 30 years ago was a political activist and organizer doing that work on the front lines. If you know, and I'm, I'm not going to again say anything, Mark, that you don't know here, but if you're working on poverty, you're working on race. If you're working on systemic issues, you're working on race. If you're working on leadership, you're working on race. If you're working on, <laughs> you know what I mean. And I think we got to a point where this horrific experience awakened people in a way that it just, we had never seen before, you know? And it was finally like, we can have a conversation that has been so taboo for so, so long. And I think, um, my experience traditionally is that we come into the conversation with a lot of assumptions about who's woke, who's not, about whose intentions are where. Um, and my experience is we don't know as much as we think we do about the heart of our humanity and about our human nature. And when I say that, I mean, we make a lot of assumptions about where people are. But if we don't really dig in with people eye to eye and heart to heart, we have no clue. And the digging in eye to eye and heart to heart requires safety. It requires honor. It requires dignity. And it, and it requires room. And room and space has been the greatest challenge that we've had up until two years ago. And I think as we're all in this shape-shifting moment and, you know, trying to sort of read the tea leaves, are we in, are we out, are we up, are we down, is it safe, is it threat? You know, we don't know. And, and we've been in a sustained experience of this discomfort and, you know, what I love to call sustained discomfort and prolonged uncertainty. Hate it, hate it. Mm. <laughs> you know, oh, cool. <laughs> hate it, hate it. Right now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like we did no, 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 like a, no, like a at all. Um, mm -hmm. But I think we're having to challenge ourselves differently about everything, about what matters, about what is important, and about who we think is our greatest foe. Right. Right. And I, I definitely want to hear a little bit. So this is where we then either point a finger or don't. And I like the Spider-Man meme of everybody pointing and it just goes in a general circle. And I essentially describe the political structure like that. When we engage poverty, we engage race. We say the municipal government will point at the provincial or the state or the feds and the feds will point backwards and say, bring us the data and the data will have to come from these folks. And then it's just a, an over complexity of systems to ensure that nothing ever changes. And so when we say, who's the enemy? You're like, well, we as a democracy do still have this power for now. And that's a big for now, right? We have this power for now, but if we're not exercising it in the way of being researched and understood and really aligned, which I think we're getting way better at, uh, 
how, how can we progress and how can we move forward? And I think this feels like a natural break because I have so many things that I want to ask. But just reflecting before we, we go to um, the break here, it requires safety, honor, dignity, respect, like all of those things. I want, if you're listening at home, to really reflect on what that means in your interactions with people in general. Because if you bring that energy and you hold that energy in every conversation, things start to change very rapidly uh, because the energy's felt. And it's, it's, there's not enough of it. You're on Better. I'm with Raw Goddess. I'm so excited. And we're going to be right back. back on better with my guest today the incredible raw goddess in our first segment we were discussing how to show up how we heal how we get together and as you were sharing one of the things that came directly to mind is i know this about you is when jesse jackson ran for president way back when you were a pollster is that correct yeah a palm, palm carter poll watcher registration <laughs> facilitator i did many 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 things politics are not new to you and at that age what brings you to that system what was the inspiration for you to get involved so early as my parents you know born in the 1920s i survived over two decades of jim crow segregation in this country um, they personally were on the front lines of major movements like the NAACP, the Urban League, Operation Push, which was Jesse Jackson's organization at the time. He had then transitioned to the Rainbow Coalition. Um, and my mother happened to be a district leader for the Rainbow Coalition at that time. And we ran the voter registration office in my city. And I was 17 at the time. I know y'all doing the math, <laughs> counting, my, <laughs> counting, aging, dating myself, all the things right now. But, um, but yeah, and, um, and for me, the most, you know, there were so many profound moments, Mark, in that work and, you know, this conversation about our humanity and for me, what it comes to, um, what I think the essence of where we're all really trying to get to in the work. I remember um, doing registration drive work and we were in a housing project in my city um, one of the toughest neighborhoods, and I'm climbing the stairs with a co-worker, um, and we enter the apartment of a 96-year-old woman, and she is there with her granddaughter. Her granddaughter is caring for her in the home, this extended family situation, and we are registering this 96-year-old woman to vote, and she signs her name with an X. <sighs> And then her granddaughter signs underneath as the witness that this indeed was her signature. And wow. she said, you know, I never had a reason to vote before, but I do now. You're 17 years old in the house, experiencing that generationally and that, of course, of course, the moments matter so much. It's incredible. And thank you for, for sharing that piece of what happens next. 
You walk out of there, obviously the energy is massive. And then where does it go? It's for me, it's like, you know, what, what matters is that people have hope. Mm. And when we, you know, and, 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 and here's the challenge, Mark, with this, right? So much of this conversation has been flattened. And when I mean flattened, hope is seen as touchy-feely, hope is seen as soft, you know, love is new age. It's all the things that we've been, um, we've been taught in this modern era because somehow skepticism, you know, is the new black and, um, pun intended y'all. And I really, um, I come from movements where people really fought and died and bled. That was very much a part of my formative years, given who my parents were, you know, born in the 1920s, right? Um, And so every sort of thing that we take for granted in our modern society, like we didn't always have this. And we're not as, you know, this is not as old as we think. When we really look at the fact that our movement is just shy of 60 years old, we're babies in this. And I think having that perspective, I think is really, really important when we think about the degree to which we can be very impatient or we can be very strident or we can be very righteous or we can be very forceful um, about having our way. And, um, And I remember that because one, I know that the world that we all are working towards is one where everybody feels like their voice matters, right? Uh, vote is one way to personify it, but what we're really talking about is voice. What we're really talking about is life, essence, soul. We all want it. Um, and yet, as much as we may be earnest in our quest for a certain people being able to have it, we aren't always conscious of who gets blocked out as a result. Like we're in this belief that space is scarce. We're in this belief that money is scarce. We're in this belief that love and light are scarce. And that if somebody gets, somebody has to lose. And it's the zero sum thinking that, um, that I think we all have to go to work on healing and transforming if we want it to be different. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. We are bred into the competitiveness and we carry it into every relationship in our, in our life, in our life. And the jealousy and the greed and the envy bleed into us because we're literally trained by everything we read and watch and that is sold to us. So, you know, in the scope of how young we are, um, I'm on today, I'm on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Snohomish, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations, otherwise known as Vancouver, British Columbia. These peoples have been here for 30,000 plus years that we can record. Canada, with a K, is 150-ish years old. So when we talk about what do we know, I always say the problems are so urgent, we need to slow down. And as a career entrepreneur, you know, I, I pushed, I pushed open nine businesses in like four years. You know, I just kept going. And none of them were in the shape or form that I wanted as an analogy just business-wise, because I know that you blend these worlds in financial support too. And when I started to do impact work, I thought, I'm going to create. And so my biggest impact business here is, is an old butcher shop called Save on Meats. It's 
going to be 11 years old this year. And we're still, I would say, like 25% to where I dream it would be. And yet anything else that you do, you open it and it has to be dialed in the moment it's open. And this, I would say, is an iterative process. Justice is iterative. As we continue to uncover and society's ready to digest more and more and more, and we push them into the place through recognition and awareness, gently, lovingly, sometimes not so much, sometimes by burning it and smashing it because that's what's required. But either way, as consciousness comes up, where is the space for it? And how do we do that? And I think, you know, space is physically needed. And as you say, the energy matters. We can just call it exactly that. Hope is not just a sign. It's not a march. It is something that energetically will shift the future, period. And it requires all ends of the spectrum. So thank you so much for sharing. So what I, what I also want to presence here before we, we jump out into our next break is um, a lifelong rap fan work deeply in hip hop music, have been a DJ for 25 years, funk, soul, and rap DJ, and uh, knew of your work. And I tied the two together after our mutual friend introduced us. I was like, oh my God, I have that record. Um, and so using the tools at your disposal as a poet, as an actor, as a playwright, is what I would like to dig into next. Because my belief heavily, and I think that all of us understand that music moves us, period scientifically proven what it does for us but going to see something live and you stepped out on stage very early to talk about mental health decades before anybody was comfortable doing so and so i would love to talk about that in our next segment and just again i'm so grateful for you being here folks you're listening to better i'm mark brand raw goddess is with us and we'll be right back talked a lot about our humanity so far and you can hear us poking through the surface about systemic change you can hear us doing that but i think that we carry a very similar energy in the thought that if we can't all come along we can't all come along and there is no us in them there's only us which is a mantra that we we say every single day but i want to go back again so the pollster is you know as your birthright you are in your power, you are in the work. But you did a one person act about mental illness um, where you played Loquisha, who's a rapper who's also manic depressive. And you played through, I think it was like over 10 different characters, right? Which arc from your early, like seven, eight years old through into the mid 20s. And I need to know all about that. If, would you share with us? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, so low came out of, uh, this moment of really feeling like I was being completely bombarded with people in my life who were breaking down in various kinds of ways. Um, and I'm so thankful we are in a period now where we are at least talking about it, you know, like, 
I remember, you know, in this work, when we were touring the work that we were just at the beginning of, you know, coming out. And as a matter of fact, I called it the, the, the sort of the next coming out. You know, we we had many conversations as a global family and a community about what it was to come out around our sexuality. Right. And, you know, we're continuing to push the bounds on that. Right. Truth be told. Um, and then this was about coming out about the state of our health and well-being. And particularly for me within the culture of hip hop seeing so many people struggling, self-medicating and having no way, you know, that there was a sort of this, you know, this blunt 40 culture that we had, you know, normalized, that no one was really asking what was underneath it and what was underneath it was trauma, you know, and we're finally able to even say the word trauma now and there's a different reaction. So, I mean, I feel um, humbled by the, the, the ways in which we have made progress even though we always, you know, can look up and see how much more there is to go. But Lowe came out of um, this moment where literally almost everyone around me was becoming, you know, diagnoses. There were different diagnoses happening and people literally, you know, unraveling because of the lack of support. And a beloved, dear friend and mentor of mine, um, and I'm going to speak his name, a jazz great Weldon Irvine uh, committed suicide. And I had the privilege, along with Mostef and Talib Kweli and Jessica Care Moore and many other names that you all know and some you don't, um, of being personally mentored by Weldon. Uh, Weldon was Nina Simone's musical director. Weldon was the co-writer of To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. Weldon's, I mean, Weldon's legacy and history span decades. And um, there was a situation where it became dire for him and he took his life. And I remember being in Manhattan, lower Manhattan at the time, I was on the Lower East Side and I got the news and I jumped on the train and I headed home and I wrote the first lines of what became the closing piece of love, which was, it is like the plague. Highly contagious and rapidly moving to an individual near you. And it was, became the sort of uh, poem that ultimately inspired then the creating of the work. And at the time, um, it was about my own process of wanting to make sense of what was happening to people that I loved, people that I knew, people that I deeply admired and respected, um, as well as to challenge us as a society to, to move out of the shadows and into the light to start talking about the issue of mental health and mental illness. And we toured the show for almost four years, um, wow. thousands and thousands and thousands of audience members. We partnered with NAMI. We partnered with SAMHSA. We partnered with local um, organizations. And the revolution was always in the audience in the theater after. You know, the, 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 the piece opened the dialogue, but it was really the, the dialogue. And I remember the first time I did the piece um, and we had our first sort of community facilitated talkback conversation, which it's common in theater. You do one in a run. And I made the decision that every show we would do a talk back. That every mm. show we would create space for the community 
to respond to the work, to challenge us, to help us get better. So I, you know, in the developmental stages of the piece, we would do workshop performances and hold community dialogues after. And they would tell me where I got it right and where I got it wrong. And um, and again, this came from years of listening. This sort of way of creating work for me always begins with inquiry and deep listening. Um, and that was that was the work. It's so beautiful. And to contextualize it for the listeners today, I think timelines are both highly relevant and irrelevant. And in this moment, helping them understand you deeper, that's 15 years ago. Right. So everybody's comfortable stepping up on stage now and talking all about their trauma and their mental illness and their dual diagnoses, et cetera. It's when I say everybody in our circles, everybody's very comfortable and people are getting more broadly comfortable in addressing it in others, not quite self yet, which is, uh, you know, I think our next hurdle in a, a platform that I, I chirp about constantly. If you if you were on platforms together, I never stopped talking about mental health because of the exact same losses. Uh, of people who I dearly admire and what I feel like people who are torn from us that have so much left. And, and that feels like just such a, a deep injustice that we are able to solve because you and I know in that blunt and 40 culture, you know, the guy is called and at two in the morning, everybody's professing everything. But when it comes to brunch the next day, nobody, everybody has selective memory. Everybody has forgotten the conversation. And I always wanted to hold on to the conversation, which is one of the reasons I got sober and have been so for five years. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Remember what we talked about last night? Because this is a critical moment that we could expose something that we could dig into as friends and work on together to make sure that you have peace with this versus continually to bury it. Because when you bury it, we know how it shows up, right? And one of your, one of the quotes that I pulled that I just love from you and giving it a little bit of pause, we have sympathy for people with cancer, but not for those with mental illness. It's so consistent, right? I know you can feel that uh, if you're listening to us right now. Mental health is health, full stop. There's, there's no differentiation in it. And so thank you for your work on this for so long. Um, and I'm just going to name it that I'm in fan energy right now as I say that. You know, yeah, but that's that's where I'm sitting in this. <laughs> I'm I'm happy that's received, and so I want to go a little bit more personal in the next segment in our our last segment. My God, this should be a ten parter. There's so much to talk about, but there's other inspiration and inspiration through loss. And I know that you talked about Weldon, but talking about family and talking about moments when we grow up in in environments and neighborhoods that are ultra dangerous. Um, you and I know from our work in systemic justice that those neighborhoods are created and there's not a lot of blame to point at, but nonetheless, they are very violent uh, in instances. I experienced it in my work in, in Brownsville and through New York, but also in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Vancouver and on my doorsteps. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that when we come back. And again, just thank you uh, for sharing not only the stories, but the, the tools. Uh, you're on better. We'll be back with Raw Goddess in a moment. As we move into segment four and respect Ra's experience in sharing her loss of Weldon to suicide, we want to share that if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal ideation, help is readily available. The team and I have provided a list of critical resources in the show notes, and I can't say enough about taking the step to using them. We all struggle, and asking for help is a form of true strength, not weakness.
We are on better. You are on better. We're all on better. We all want to be better. <laughs> we are here with Raw Goddess. I am Mark Brand. Um, we've been locked in. And I'm I'm just moved by so much. I feel uh, equally a student and space holder today. Uh, for moments, I'm looking for a pen to scribble down, but I'm happy that I will be able to listen back to this, which is so often the case. Uh, so thank you for being here and bring tremendous value. And what I'm always interested in, of course, I brought up the pollster work and we talked about your family and we talked about the inspiration. Um, and then we talked about the inspiration and loss. And there has been so much loss in your life. Uh, and you continue to show up in this incredibly bright space. Um, and may I say, fearless. You know, it, it really is beautiful. And so I know that you've had some really close brushes, but one in particular. Would you mind sharing that with us today? So this often comes up, Mark, when I talk about my purpose and calling and how did I ultimately, you know, come to what I believe is my work in the world. And, you know, and the truth is, I believe that we're, we're always doing it on some level, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not. But my true pivot happened at gunpoint. Um, and I was living in Bed-Stuy at the time. Shout out Bed-Stuy. Do a die. <laughs> um, for real. Um, and I was coming home from the subway. And, um, and I was in the midst of doing this incredible cleansing fast and just, you know, rebooting my life and listening and looking for and searching for guidance. And this guy pulls up on the bike and um, he's looking for you know, the Johnson family. And, and I lived in a neighborhood, it's important to just say that I lived in a neighborhood where we were the third generation of my family to live in that brownstone. Um, we had been there since the 1920s. Um, wow. And um, that everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody, we were either the children or grandchildren of, or you'd been there 20 years, but it was a tight, close-knit community. And I didn't know the family. So I'm looking up and thinking, and then I look down and he's pointing a gun. And um, mm -hmm. we start to have an exchange and I feel a beam of energy come through the top of my head and down through the soles of my feet, planting me in place. And my mouth opens and I just say, brother, I don't have anything for you. And we go back and forth and he threatens to shoot. And then ultimately he does um, begin shooting. And I see the light flash. I see the bullet leave the chamber. Um, but, you know, whatever energy that had shrouded me protected me clearly. And he, you know, hit the gun, fired again, hit the gun, tied it, fired again, attempted sort of that third time, or fourth time, and it jammed. And, you know, he and I are both in shock because we both knew he shot. It wasn't, you know, wasn't any <laughs> mystery about what he was trying to do. Um, and, you know, my, I often say that, you know, that though I cannot, you know, tell you where the bullet went, the message was not lost on me. And so it was time to align with what the universe, God's spirit, however you describe it, had in store for me. And, um, and that was, that was my wake up call. That was my, my, um, my memo to get, to get on on purpose. <laughs> right. These moments are so critical in our development because we call back to the energy. Right? And I find myself calling back into a very specific moment or multiple specific moments where it was like, you were giving this chance. Don't you dare waste it. 
don't you dare be frivolous with it. Like there's, there's enough, there's enough frivolity in the world. You need to focus. Um, and so thank you for sharing, which I'm sure is, uh, you know, challenging every time it's shared, but now the work, which I want to make sure that we get to, and I just am again, taken by our time having slipped away. Um, but move the crowd. Your organization is why we were actually connected. And I believe heavily in putting in the bat batteries in the back of leaders and mentorship is the greatest gift that you can give true mentorship, unagendized mentorship, helping shape people's futures in the way that helps shape all of our futures. And I know that you do this with, this is your work. Um, and so I know that there's been thousands of people that are interconnected. The mycelium of entrepreneurship, particularly of people of color has been so amplified by your work. And I would love to hear where it sits currently um, and what are the things that we can be excited about? Mm, thank you for that. I mean, our work every day is to help people to awaken to the truth of who they are and to help them answer their calling and that they get the support that they need to really honor and bring their visions into fruition. You know, there's so much in our current culture that often stands in the way of people's truth. And our work is to help move anything that is in the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. out of the way, out of the way. Um, and that we bring a real commitment, a very robust and rigorous commitment to your true, to your paid and to your good, because we know and believe that success, we need to have all three. And, and for us, it is about a new economy, a vision for an economy where all of us can thrive and prosper, where we can reach our full potential, um, and where we can bring that which is uniquely ours to bring. And so the book, The Calling, is about that, which is really the kind of the handbook for the movement. Um, and then all of the courses and programs that we offer through Move the Crowd are rooted in that alignment at every level um, in, in terms of being able to make sure that people can show up as their whole selves and achieve their whole success as they define it on their terms. Absolutely love that. And having gotten through a bunch of excerpts of the calling in preparation for this, it is it is a must own. Like, I get so excited. And I think we all get excited because the hero's journey is the hero's journey, right? There is one story and that story runs through every religious text and then from Lord of the Rings to Superman. It's the same story. And we reflect in it. But when we can see the pragmatics of it, that is truly why we're here in front of these microphones today is to take the pragmatic experience, lessons and skills or direct people towards that to be able to make this a more equitable place. And one of your fundamental aims with Move the Crowd is to transform the culture of capitalism from a state that it is in now, which is very broken into one that's just accessible and sustainable for all of us and truly all of us. So instead of segmenting out, this has been the portion that is X, you're saying everybody can flourish here and the abundance mindset is prevalent in everything that you guys teach. Um, so excited about that. And, you know, I think the last thing that we'll have time for to talk about on, on the radio show, and then we're going to keep kicking for the podcast. So if you are with us, do not worry, there's more coming. And if you're on the radio, make sure to tune in wherever you listen to us, uh, on, on the podcasts. We talked about some personal journey stuff. We've talked about some political stuff. We've talked about polarization. And I think one of the biggest parts of polarization is that we've lived in the age of the celebrity for 50, 60 years, where the idolization and the aspiration of the unattainable has been the center point of the design, which is I want to be the X. I want to be the Y versus being able to look internally, create that joy for self and move through. And one of your core tenets of this is 
we're in the age of the citizen. So what does that mean? What is the age of the citizen? What it means is that we have gone from iconic worship and the preoccupation with iconic worship to being more interested in our own personal brand and form of contribution. Contribution is a human need. All of us need to give. And it's something we don't talk enough about, Mark. It's something we don't honor enough. But we all need to feel on some level that we were here and that in some way, shape, or form, we made a difference, that we mattered, that what we bought, what we thought, what we carried, what we gave mattered. And we are in a give economy, meaning we're in an economy where people are trying to figure out how to operationalize and monetize what it is that they have to give in service to a better world. And I believe that it is our job as bridge builders, as as social architects, as game changers, our job is to help facilitate those contributions because if people don't bring it, we don't get the kind of world we want. And so it's like we have a responsibility. It's incumbent upon us. And so for you, if you're listening and you have a contribution to bring and you're holding back, I'm talking to you, like you have responsibility. I'm calling you lovingly, gently, courageously, compassionately, I'm calling you forth. And if you're a leader, an influencer, someone who has power, someone who has resources, someone who has opportunity, and it's your responsibility to facilitate the connections that invite and encourage those contributions, whether that be through your own company, whether that be through your networks or associations, your corporations, now is the time. And The last thing I'll say is this moment we're in, this, are we, you know, this variant moment, this, you know, extended, you know, remixed pandemic moment, (laughs) if we're going to take the hip hop analogy, right? This extended, this extended remix (laughs) section of the pandemic. Do you understand what I'm saying? The hidden tracks, you know, wherever we, wherever we are in this, in this thing, people are sifting and sorting. People are looking. Mm. People are this, I call it the great renegotiation. We are in, you know, we think it's the grand resignation. It's the great renegotiation. What is my life going to be about? What matters to me? What's the contribution I want to make? Who are the people I want to work with? What do I want to operate in service to? And what matters? What matters? What matters? What matters? Yeah. So thank you. And we frame very similarly. And my, my first prompt to everybody is, what do you care about and why? with the huge emphasis on the why and not the immediate answer, not the socially acceptable answer, not the answer that it is because I should. Yeah, that part is inherent, right? So if, if it is about poverty and homelessness and hunger, where I focus a lot of my energy on equity, or if it's about literally saving the cetaceans in the ocean, if you, you want free willy to truly be free, whatever it is that lights you up, what is the deep why? Where does it come from? Where is that internal motivation? And we've talked about some of yours and inspirations today, but for the individual, we don't ask why enough and we need to ask why. And we're both going to resonate big with this one with a pen and paper in hand, not thumbs on keyboard with a pen and paper in hand and write it down. Like, why do I care? And just let your being speak through you. And people often are just like, okay, my group cares about doing this with the food bank and bless. I sit on the culinary council for the New York city food bank. I care a lot about this stuff. But that's my calling, particularly. You don't necessarily need to be in that. And so finding the place where you fit, where you're like most energetically moved, where you're called, I love that language. 
you are being called. We're all being called forward to do this work. So oh, this has been better. I feel like we could start all over again and do a whole other hour. Um, raw goddess, what an absolute joy. Thank you for sharing your life force, your energy, your wisdom, and uh, look forward to so, so, so much more. Thank you for having me. It's been my joy, truly my joy. If you are listening uh, on the radio, I will see you again next week. If you are listening on the podcast or furiously bringing it up on your cell phone right now to jump on and listen to the rest, we'll be right back. All right, we are now in the 12-inch extended remix of Better. <laughs> we are on the 45-only release of Better with Raw Goddess, and I am your host, Mark Brand. And that was so amazing. I got to tell you, I was excited, but I've been feeling a little low on energy. We all have. It's past holiday. That's our peak season. That's when we're doing our thing. And I am now, if you could see me on camera, I'm vibrating. I look like Tony Robbins just jumped in my whole ass body. It's, it's like, it's all happening for me right now. I'm, I'm going to Wim Hof right now. I'm going to jump in a nice bath. It's all happening. And that's because of being, feeling seen and felt and understood, which we touched on. Ultimately, a woman marking the X on that ballot is being seen, is being counted, literally stood up and counted for. What, what are the tools to help us feel seen? Where are the disruptions? How does this affect our relationships? If that's mine as Mark Brand, if that is my struggle, that I feel abandonment from old trauma, if I feel blocked, where do you take folks? Because that's a very normal diagnosis. Like what happens with raw goddess in that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to say is, how important community is. It's why you facilitate it. It's why you foster it around all of the tables that you do, you know, finding your people. And I know for some of us, if we live in locales that are very isolated, that can be easier said than done. I think sometimes, you know, we in the city take for granted that everyone has this sort of walk out your door and it's all right there reality. And so many people do not. And so they are coming online. They are coming to platforms like yours to be able to find their people. And so I am going to say to you to prioritize finding places where these conversations are happening and ideally being able to come into environments and spaces where you can show up right now virtually, but ultimately we hope as we open up uh, on the other side of this remix that that will include physically. But I think setting a, a goal and a commitment that this year you're going to surround yourself with more like-spirited, like-minded people are important. But what's also important is you're going to be willing to challenge yourself, to build a bridge across difference, across perspective, and that you're going to hold room and space to be in communion with someone who maybe doesn't think like you, maybe doesn't look like you. And that that's actually a practice that enables you to start to do the work of what I call rehumanization. I love that. And what I'm hearing is I'm hearing like threads from uh, a mentor and teacher via Ken Wilber's words through integral theory, which is finding the commonality and being comfortable with it forces you to address your own bias and trauma. Right? So those triggers that come up while we're doing this work is from a space that you're mirroring onto other people often. And when you talk about finding the commonality with people on the opposite extremes of the spectrum, it's critical, but also being aware of like what's happening in our own bodies and why, and then looking to heal that. Because once we heal it, we can sit with anybody. 
we're in this really interesting space, right? Yeah. And our healing work is paramount. You know, again, if we didn't get the lesson, we haven't gotten the lesson the last two years, our health and well-being is, is paramount, paramount, you know? And so for some of you, that's going to be about quiet time. That is going to be about the medicine of slowing down, as my beloved Dana Balicki says. It is going to be about the medicine of slowing down, right? For others of you, it is going to be about finding your people and having sacred connection in whatever way you can foster it, right? Live or virtually. For other people, it's going to be about starting to listen to you more. And this is where the room and the space to cultivate the next level of relationship with you is imperative, imperative. Mark, so much of what we're talking about now and the places where I'm working is how do we help the most powerful leaders in the world do the inner work? They got their hands on power. They've conquered everything material that one can imagine and more. But for many, not all, but for many, the inner world is thirsting, hungry, starving, because they have been conditioned to believe that everything that matters happens outside of them. Yeah. Huge, huge point. So much to the point that they're building rocket ships because <laughs> they've explored everything they can on this one. All kinds of things. They've never, never looked inside. Once. All, all kinds of things. And that look inside work is the revolution you all it is the you know it is the next frontier you were talking about the final frontier this is this is the frontier because if we can do that inner work we grow another kind of capacity to look more frankly at the ways in which we are currently defining power and success and the degree to which they're serving or not serving like our systems are crumbling for a reason um, they want to be reimagined. And in order to reimagine, we have to begin here. You know, we got to come here. You know, in other words, if you ain't holding or carrying anything new in terms of your vision, there's no way that you're manifesting anything new in the world. And that feels challenging because for many people, there is a belief that this new world doesn't have a place for them in it. That somehow yeah. as we diversify, as we integrate, as we become more inclusive, what we're really saying is more inclusive to these people over here, which means we must be exclusive to those people over there. Right. And we are having to heal that lie in real time. We are having- It's also terrifying. Yeah, yes. That's a fear. The fear shuts down. So the trigger, that same moment that you're engaging with somebody who's different and has an opinion that is so radically right or radically left or centrist that just doesn't land with you, the trigger and the disassociation, the same disassociation happens when people hear Web3 and don't understand what's being said or, you know, are you in this NFT thing or do you have crypto already? Have you opened your wallet? Because Ethereum is going to replace and people are like, I, I mean, I don't even have my banking on my phone, <laughs> you, know? you know, am I going to get left behind? And the fact is you won't. You won't. And as things continue to normalize and generalize, like removing those triggers allows you to absorb information a lot easier. And this, this, all of these revolutions that are happening internally and externally uh, are for the betterment. And I, I talk a lot about um, medicine work and psilocybin in particular, uh, and you know, been involved with that in my whole life, my entire life, but into an internal journey space much deeper the last couple of years through a nurse practitioner. 
not having beers in a party and a barbecue and enjoying the trailers of the lights, but like healing real trauma and PTSD through medicine work because I needed to see what was inside. Everything was either character based or a projection of what I believed that, you know, needed to be represented. And there's still truth in that. But when you see our deep connectivity to everything, once you've witnessed that, that is, there's your spirituality, the moments that you feel it, whatever it is, the interconnectivity, however you get there into your truest and highest self is where we, we need people. Um, I love all. You know, and whatever structures support it, right? Because there are all kinds of medicine that supports, right, our ability to be able to get to the heart and center of our souls. And this is really what we're talking about. This is the, this is the soul work. And, you know, we're in a beautiful moment in that I think we couldn't say those words. You know, people said soul work. People looked at you sideways, <laughs> you know, or people right? said, you know, come home to yourself. People like, what? You know, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> and, you know, and on some level, people are still looking at you sideways. But it's, you know, it's now a little bit more acceptable to start to engage in those kinds of conversations because, Unless we're integrated and unless we're aligned, unless we're really tapped in and grounded in the truth of who we are, the decisions we're making are going to throw us to and fro. They're going to rock us to and fro. So if your ship is rocking, you know, the intention is really to bring you home and back into alignment. And so it's important to look at what is being um, turned upside down in, in yeah. your space. And that's everything from your work life to your love relationships, to your physical environment. I know people, how many people have moved in the last year? Right, Mark? Oh God, right? <laughs> it's like, so it's, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. There's a thirst. And so what you touched on earlier, this is all interconnected as with most things. But when you say, find your people, find your community, there's an acceptance of the things that we've stepped out on early when you were talking about mental health and dual diagnoses and multiple diagnoses and playing all these characters, I'm certain that there was people in your circle who were like, Oh, I'm good on that. Right. And so you lose people. And when I decided on my sobriety and I started talking mental health 2013 strongly and being like, I'm deeply affected by this. And this is what happens. And it's familial, it's generational, it's hereditary. And this is what's happening. A good chunk, both in business and personal, were like, I'm good on that and stepped away. And so we know that and we, we fear that. And so when you're coming to your truth, it's important to understand that that's not a loss, that that is, you know, it's a, um, it's a, a curation is the word I'm looking for, a deeper curation of, of the people that are willing to accept the you that you're growing into. Yeah. And I think where you incubate, where you reimagine yourself, where you rebirth, that's holy ground. And you must be surrounded by love. You must be surrounded by love. You know, we, we know the narratives of what it is to, to be birthed in concrete. We know the narratives, right? But this opportunity now to really be more uh, self-loving and self-honoring in where and how we form circle and who and how we identify fam is, is important, is really, really important because that is what's going to fortify us for the work that we need to do in the world. And one cannot occur without the other. Yeah. Critical, critical, critical. And I'm drawn to a quick analogy and then we are, we are going to close and we will be back together. Make no mistake. Uh, if you'll have, 
if you allow me to have you back, I it would. I'm already hoping to open the calendar right after this conversation. But I, um, I feel the the first time that I ever did any street facing work around food, um, it was coming from a place of uh, mainly ego, and you know, let me do something that is going to be helpful. And this goes, you know, back into the '80s, '90s. And as you continue to develop, you realize that not only is it filling you and fueling you, it becomes something that you dedicate your whole life to. And for me, it is that, but that that's where my actual community started to be built. So it wasn't any longer about hanging out with all the cool kids at all because I didn't resonate there. I could walk in that world. I could create business that made me very popular, but I didn't find community there aside from enablement. Right? I found a place that would easily enable me to continue to be my worst self and to be extractionary almost solely from society. So I'm taking, 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 but what am I actually providing and giving and holding and working with community and taking all of those tropes away of I have to be with people that look like me, that walk like me, that talk like me, that come from a background. What a boring fucking life, first of all. And then secondly, my, my heart and my soul told me it wasn't right. So as you start to be with folks, you know pretty much two or three minutes in who your people are in conversation. So trusting our intuition is so critical in, in our feeling, in our heart. That resonance. Yeah. Where do, you, where do you find resonance? That's what I'm hearing you ask, right? Where do you find the resonance and how do you move towards it? So very, very important. Right. And so where does Ra Goddess find the resonance? Right now, for me, it has been in nature, people who are, you know, committed to our environment and, and really the honoring of spending time, sacred time in nature. I am a water child, so that is definitely, for me, where I find the resonance. Um, and then with people who are willing to work in the world of the true we, and who are willing to be active shapers and narrators of what I call the story of us. Because that is what we're weaving right now, it, you know, and it's up to us what kind of story it's going to be. You know, I love the phenomenal Kedma O oh, talks about, you know, your movie, that each of us is sort of our lives are movies. It's like, is it a horror movie? Is it a thriller? Is it a, right. a drama? Is it an adventure? And I think we all are asking ourselves like, and should be asking ourselves like, okay, what kind of, what kind of story do I want to tell when I think about how I'm showing up in the world and what I'm putting my energy and my efforts towards? One thing you said that I just want to underscore that I think is so important is this is not just about doing good work. This is about doing your work. And being willing to be adamant about identifying and reconciling what is your work in the world? What has been given to you? Because every single one of us has something that's been given to us. Critically important. And I, I'm going to weave an analogy uh, or a person or, you know, just bring an energy in here to tie that up. When you said I'm a water person, I live in the ocean as much or as close to it as I can. My entire life is by design that way subconsciously until I brought it forward in my thirties and was like, Oh, you've been choosing this the whole time. I have the great pleasure of being friends with um, one of my idols. Uh, and we've gotten closer over the last bunch of years. Her name is Sylvia Earl or her deepness. 
And Sylvia's purpose solely in life is to help us understand that fish, fish are friends, you know, and the oceans and, you know, in her seventies, she continues to have never wavered from the message of her awakening. And her, you know, we're talking the sixties, she's underwater. She's in the first like solo submarine. She's down there. And when she shares this stuff with us still, there is zero question that when you find that space, so she, she gives us the gift of then acknowledging our own understanding that we don't have to be focused on what somebody else is. Cause there is no question what Sylvia cares about and has for 60 years. And in the power in that, in the understanding in that, and what is created out of that, um, and the joy, the utter joy of how I experience leaders who've stepped into that space, even though it's so critically endangered, um, they still are able to operate in joy of knowing that they're fully showing up. Yeah, that's it. The joy, the joy comes from the fulfillment. The joy comes from the fulfillment. Like you know, like you know, you're doing what is yours to be doing. And that's, that's the opportunity, you know, for every single one of us that are seeking and searching right now. A hundred percent. And I, uh, I, somebody said to me the other day, you know, I kissed, kissed a lot of frogs to figure out what I needed to do. And it's, it's a woman in my network who's been supporting kids in New York and the Lower East Side and theater for 30 plus years, who I adore, Lori Meadoff. And she said, you know, I'm still kissing a lot of frogs to figure it out. And I, lo- I loved it. It was a perfect, like you can imagine her accent saying it, you know, she's, she's deep. And she says it to me and I was like, I, you know, I say this to people, but I say it a little too softly. I was like, you know, try things on and like volunteer in some spaces and then figure out what that looks like and where also you feel most welcomed and don't put the burden on the organizations. Make sure to do your research and know what you're doing. Don't just call and say, I got time. Like, nobody has time for that. You know, how are you going to show up without being a burden and to acknowledge that and the other part is try a bunch of stuff on, right, to, to find out what resonates with you. And there could be lots. You know, I find myself working globally on climate change. I work locally on food waste and recovery. But one of my favorite things to still do to this day is play records. And it's equally as important to me, right? And so on that note, as a poet, as a just a gift if, to music and to the theater, is there anything that you would like to share with us in closing that feels alive for you right now um, that you've either written or composed? Oh, wow. Um, so it's interesting because I have started to return to the work, like just really begun to turn back to the work. And, um, and it's felt like this incredible homecoming for me. So this is like, you know, in terms of just like being on the spot on the spot. Um, yeah. I'm going to see if I can pull up, pull up something maybe that I'll share. <laughs> they can't see me furiously clapping on the other side of this, so <laughs> of this camera. On the spot. Let's see. Please. And, and while Ra's pulling that up, um, I'm going to share a bunch of links on my socials, but she does this incredible uh, talk, you know, TEDx Broad Street talk that, um, you know, we, we could have done that whole thing again today, but I knew that it would be a resource for folks. And of course, I'll share all of um, your social links so people can dig in deeper. And um, as you've heard today, just uh, an absolute gift of, of wisdom and presence. And um, I want to say collaboration. 
collaboration is the word that's just so present for me. That is, that is, you know, I, I think it's the future, Mark. It's where we're going, you know, is learning how, how do we work together? You know, totally, totally learning how we work together. All right, so I better come at this. This is so interesting. You all, this is in real time on the spot, but I'm, I'm, I, I got you. Yes. <laughs> I'm so you. grateful for this moment. I got you. I got you. Um, I'm feeling like a little bit of Fat Man Scoop and a little bit of Funkmaster Flex all at the same time in this moment. Like, I want my bomb button. You know, I also want to be yelling. <laughs> that is so hilarious. <sighs> okay, so I'll just do a little excerpt, you all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Give me the chance to move mountains, and I will always opt for the people. I appreciate the vast, monumental, and iconic, the glass, brick, mortar, concrete, and steel, the formidable, imposing, impermeable imprints that pay homage to titans and gods of industry. I appreciate the systems, structures, and mechanisms, the politics, protocols, precepts, procedures, the guidelines, deadlines, and rules of law, that bend and sway at the beck and call of tide, trend, and popper affiliation. I appreciate the necessity of the digital, statistical, and didactic, the sharp, edgy, witty, and concise, the logical, reasonable, rational, the bold, direct, uniform, and efficient. However, if I am honest, it all pales for me in comparison to what it is to touch a life, heal a trauma, shift a perspective, orchestrate a triumph, resurrect a dream. It pales on the front lines of first steps and last breaths and tender reconciliations. Our humanity is precious like newfound faith. Our stories contain the elixir to transform profound confusion. Our journeys hold the wisdom of the ages and the ages beyond. And we who dance in the ancient and ethereal, we who playground in the blatant subtleties, we who attempt to harness the magic and the mystery, sculpt tongue, clay, mahogany, acrylic, bend, pitch, tone, Texture, inflection, craft, arc, feeling, word, and imagery, mining for the spark that will ignite the return to our familiar. Our humanity is precious. It is the foundation that movements build on. It is the water in the wave of progress that generates all of the Above, it is the grist and salt of stone, the stuff that mountains are made of. And though mountains have their appeal, I choose us. I choose to move us above all. Thank <laughs> you.
my goodness. I forgot I was even recording a show for a moment there. I just jumped out of my chair on mute and threw my hands up. Incredible gifts. And can I say on behalf of everybody, welcome home. So, so, so very excited. Um, folks, this has been better. I am Mark Brand. We have listened to the incredible raw goddess take us through so much today. We talked about movements going back into the late 1890s. People marking their X, how you're going to make yours, what it takes to do all of these things already exists inside you. And while the internal work is challenging, how to bravely face it, those who have come before you, the shoulders that you stand on, the recognition of all of it is so integral to integrating. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for being on the extended 12-inch remix um, with a literal track laid down at the end. Ra, anything you want to leave us with? Just I love you all. I love you. Continue to rise. Now's the time. And we love you deeply. This has been better. And I'll see you again very soon.